Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com, RockAuto.com, and by DieHard. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Thank you, Alec Webb. Welcome to MotorWeek Podcast 101. And today we're going to go back to school with an awful lot of new information on cars we've been testing of late and helping me in this wonderful endeavor is our road test producer, Ben Davis. Hey, guys. Our writer, producer, and two-wheel and reporter, Brian Robinson. Hello, Mr. Davis. And our writer extraordinaire, Patrick Lucas. Hello, everybody. We're going to have our lightning round, a viewer question later. But, of course, what are the cars we're going to talk about on today's show? The Sport Compact Challenge that we have coming up. Otherwise known in our parlance as Cheap Speed, and Brian Robinson's going to talk to that. We're going to revisit a familiar topic, diesels. Where are they as far as uh, the public is concerned? Uh, recently had experience with the 2014 BMW 328D for everyone. Uh, that's an, an interesting diesel. And can the 3 Series really hold up its performance image being oil-powered? We had a Ram Eco Diesel V6 in here recently, and we're able to compare it to our long-term Ram Gas V6. And GM basically this week announced that 10% of the U.S. market by 2020, they expect, will be diesels. And we'll see what our uh, panel of experts think. So let's start with that uh, BMW 328D. Uh, Actually, let's start, start with the Sport Compact Challenge. Let's talk about something fun. All right, Brian, tell us about what the event was, how it went, and um, so forth. Uh, Did you find the cheap speed? Yes, this was one of our many uh, comparisons with Cars.com and USA Today. And basically, we had eight uh, sport compact cars uh, under thirty grand, and we spent a couple of days on the track, a couple of days on the street, and uh, picked a winner. What kind of vehicles were they? Uh, was all across the board, everything from uh, small hatchbacks to sedans. So no one body uh, style. No, the only criteria was uh, thirty grand, come in under thirty grand, and have some performance. Uh, That's pretty much the only. Uh, only criteria. Now, it used and, to be that, that cars that size we didn't think were very satisfying to drive. Well, I don't know about that. I mean, there's always been some performance bargains out there. Like the GTI. Uh, yeah, cars like that. I think maybe the big difference now is some of them have gotten a lot more serious in performance, and maybe some have also gotten better at splitting the performance-slash-daily-use uh, line, have gotten better at uh, kind of going on both ends of that. Besides the GTI, what were some of the other uh, contestants? The GTI, um, usual things you would expect, Subaru WRX, uh, a couple ones you maybe didn't expect, Hyundai Veloster, Turbo, Kia Forte 5, SX, um, Scion FRS was in there, that's a rear driver, the only rear driver, uh, Fiat 500 Abarth was in there um ford fiesta st was in there so uh, it was a uh, like you know like i say a lot of different types of vehicles um some tur you know pretty much everything was turbo powered uh mostly front wheel drive and one all-wheel drive one rear wheel drive so a little bit of everything what do you have an overall impression about the state of small uh performance cars um well yeah i would say there's a lot of options out there if you don't want to you, know, you don't need to spend a lot of money to get a lot have a lot of fun um, the uh, winner was the GTI, uh, which was kind of no surprise. You could kind of tell the whole way. Kind of the original uh, hot hatchback yeah, to start with. Every category, whether it's performance, you know, straight line, track, 
uh, fuel economy even it was finished in first or second uh, in every single category so uh, I just eventually that was the winner second place was Subaru WRX which you know another one of our favorites here uh, no real surprise there um, what was the biggest disappointment um, well, I would say not really. I, th- I would have thought the Fiesta ST would have done better. They finished third. Yeah, me too. Because uh, it was a blast on the track. But We loved it. Yeah, some of the people that were the judges um, just did not enjoy driving on the street because it does have an ultra-stiff ride. Of all the cars there, uh, you did pay the most penalty for, on daily use for the performance. So I think that was probably the biggest thing that held it back. You but, think it was a factor that it was only manual, too? Um, or do they take that into account? Yeah, I don't think they really get the other so two much automatic, about that. Right? Yeah. They're the first, second place. Yeah. And do the you, 500 Abarth didn't do that well. Yeah, the 500 Abarth, if you if you drive it by itself, I mean, it's a fun car. But when you put it up against real deal cars like the WRX and the GTI, it's not anywhere. It doesn't offer anywhere near that kind of performance. Now, everyone at this table has actually spent time in the new GTI. What's your impressions of, the, of it? Because it, I was pretty impressed with it. It's very civilized, but I thought it was very capable. It's funny you ask that because when Brian got back, uh, he said, guess who won? And I I pretty much nailed the – I had the GTI for first place, no doubt, just because it's such a great car. It's unbelievable how nice that car is Mm -hmm. inside with the materials and the design and just the oneness with with everything. Even the transmission is awesome. Everything is great. Um, I did have Fiesta ST above WRX, though, so that was was a shock for me. Even the GTI price was like mid-pack. It wasn't anywhere near the most expensive one, so – Patrick, yeah. you haven't had I'd, as much experience with the older models no, of GTI. No, not at all, actually. Yeah. So I took a, I took the GTI to the beach this weekend, mm-hmm. loved it, and mm-hmm. drove about you know three, three and a half hours in it and got to know it fairly well. Um, ton of fun. Um, I was t- I was asking Ben. I said, you know, would you like the manual better? He said, no, I would take the the, the six speed DSG all the way. And I mean, I I, I, agree I, I with would that. have to agree yeah. a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I would like to see what the manual was like, but the DSG was. Uh, very uh, fast shifting, tons of fun on the back roads. I would have it in sport mode all the time. Though. Yeah, I, I did. That's what I did. Yeah. I, I didn't even bother with normal. Mm-hmm. I was basically up and down the um, hillsides uh, north of San Francisco in it, and um, you just—it's been a long time since I've driven a smaller car that was that enjoyable, and you felt you used the term oneness with. You just felt like you were wearing the car. It was plenty roomy, but there was just a, a relationship to it that was very special. Nice car. Good choice. Okay, let's move on to our diesel uh, discussion. And let's start with the BMW 328D diesel. And, uh, you know, here's a car that basically is uh, pretty much a necessity in Europe. Uh, over here, the 3 Series has never really been seen as an economy-oriented car. So is is a diesel, is this diesel in particular, uh, does it fit the 3 Series image in the U.S.? Anybody? Hmm. <laughs> and we all are pondering. Uh, the diesel image in the U.S.? I would say that it probably... Do you say, does it fit the 3 Series image? 3 Series image. <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely sporty. It's got great uh, low-end torque and, and excellent throttle response. So, in my opinion, absolutely. It's it's awesome. Uh, it was definitely a BMW from my perspective just because, what did it cost, like $48,000? Yeah, and it didn't have a backup camera. Well, that, that was a, I mean, that, that sounds kind of nitpicky, but, but I mean, that's that was a big deal it and was I'm not sure very well equipped yeah and it's a clear uh you know it's clearly opposite of mercedes strategy with their diesels they're right. putting them as the base engine right 
and it's the cheapest option you can get actually and that's awesome if you actually want to sell diesels if you're serious about it that's probably a good strategy better than this it's the same you can get the two liter turbo four gas engine a lot cheaper in the three series but it's i think the pricing was about the same as the inline six 335 so you could kind of choose whether you wanted it was pretty close yeah, it's an interesting interesting strategy in a bad way there's no way yeah. to turn people off of diesel more than to charge a huge premium yeah. plus you're going to be paying more for fuel so right. and, and that's my biggest problem with uh the diesels we all love them. We especially love them in trucks. But unless you're pulling a huge horse trailer or something, when you sit down and look at the premium you have to pay for the engine plus the premium for the fuel, there's no real savings. And of all the new era clean diesels that we're getting now, this one uh, didn't seem as smooth as uh, a lot of the other engines. The Audi diesel, a comparable Audi diesel, seems a lot smoother. Yeah. No doubt there. Yeah. yeah. So we liked it. It's still a 3 Series, which meant it was fun to drive, but I don't think uh, it would be our first choice or even second probably. All right, let's move on to a vehicle that's maybe a little bit more fitting for a diesel, and that's the Ram Eco Diesel. This is the V6 Turbo that's been in the uh, Grand Cherokee. Uh, what did you think of it? And while you're at it, let's talk about the fact that we've been living with a Ram 1500 V6 gas for a year. And I'll, I'll, I'll give the numbers. We basically got... Um, three to four mile per gallon better fuel economy in the eco diesel uh, over a period of almost uh, two weeks. Uh, but then it costs more as well, and that sort of pretty much negates that. But having said that, was it, how'd you feel about it in that truck? It's a full size truck and the first light duty full size truck to have a diesel in a very long time. Yeah, I didn't spend a whole lot of time with it, maybe as much as some others did, but I, I was pretty impressed with it. I still don't know that I would pay the extra for it. Um, but the fact I love the fact that they're making it available in a light duty truck. So. It's about three grand, I think. Yeah. yeah, I spent a lot of time in it. I was uh, a driver in the straight up two hundred mile Comparo as well. Um, it's great to have that that torque and power when you need it. But honestly, uh, our test was with no cargo, and um, and there really wasn't that much difference between. I thought there was going to be more difference between the diesel and the and the, and the six cylinder gas. Um, it's a very good six-cylinder gas. That's, it is. Yeah. It's great. I mean, I thought uh, I thought torque off the line and throttle response was going to be a lot crisper in the diesel, but um, actually, I think uh, off the line performance and torque was about equal. Almost the diesel was a little louder. It's the only big difference that I felt throughout the testing. I thought it was very deceiving press car because that was the top, like, absolute best trim level you could get in yeah. the diesel. So I got in there and I was driving around. I was like, this thing's so quiet. That's amazing. And then you just realize, you know, there's so much sound deadening in that super top <laughs> trim level. And like, if you get outside and hear the Eco Diesel go by, you can definitely tell that's a diesel truck. It's fair to mention that our Eco Diesel pickup was a larger cab than the uh, gas. Yeah, it had the uh, full-size uh, 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 crew cab body on it. Mm-hmm versus the uh, quad cab, extended cab for our V6. But I'm not sure that really made a whole lot of difference, except for Probably not, somebody no. riding in the back seat. Do you think, I mean, it, it's apparent from everything I've read that we're going to see a lot more diesels, particularly in pickup trucks, to meet fuel economy standards. Do you think the public's going to go for it? Apparently, they've already bought a lot of these uh, eco-diesel Rams. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's not going to be a huge increase. It's a slow ramp-up, just like hybrids. I mean, it's just it's been a slow ramp-up, and I think we'll see that as well. Having said that, GM this week, there's been a big conference, uh, and one of the powertrain um, and marketing guys from General Motors stood up and said that over the next, between now and 2020, 
they think up to 10% of the U.S. market, which is about, you know, let's say that's six, a million six hundred thousand vehicles a year, will be diesels. Now, a lot of those are probably going to be pickup trucks, but do you think it's really going to pick up steam beyond what do we have? Besides Volkswagen and Audi and Mercedes, we have uh, the Chevy Cruze yeah. diesel. There's not a lot right now. I don't think it will, no. What, what, what's the percentage now? That's what, I don't know how much It's probably are. about 3%, I'm yeah, guessing. Yeah, there's no way it's going to go that high that quick. It sounds to me like what they were really saying is in order to meet some of the fuel economy standards, probably for SUVs, they're going to you're going to be forcing us to buy these. <laughs> and I have a feeling that's more of what it's going to be. I, I don't disagree with you. Okay, let's move on now to our lightning round. Our panelists have two minutes to debate a trending automotive topic. And time is up when they hear the bell, Patrick. And so here we go. The uh, Insurance Institute for Highway Safety recently released a list of best-used cars for teens and beginner drivers. It basically recommended large, heavy, slow vehicles uh, (laughs) under $20,000. It also obviously looked at vehicles that had a decent crash test ratings and stability and attraction controls. So we're kind of just curious, what cars did we all learn to drive, and and did they fit that kind of category? Definitely not. (laughs) (laughs) What was your first car, Ben? My first car was a a Beetle. Well, the first car that got tags on. (laughs) A couple of them. Did you learn in in a Beetle? I learned in a MGB. (laughs) <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> Learn how to drive stick in an MGB. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Patrick? Um, let's see. I learned on a 96 Ford Explorer. Okay. And then, uh, let's see, the first car I drove in between in high school, I split my time between a Grand Cherokee and a Volvo station wagon. So, I don't know. They probably that's, sell that's somewhere. That's yeah. pretty much in the ballpark. Yeah. Our first car was a uh, Chevrolet Chevette, which is, to me, was the perfect first car. Small. Oh, yeah. I yeah. totally go against the big, large, heavy vehicle. I mean, sure, they're going to be safe, but think about all the people they're going to be running into <laughs> and, and, you know, in parking lots and stuff on their first car. Parking, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Do you have a manual Small. in your Chevette? No, it was automatic. A friend of mine had a manual was, Chevette his first car. Rear-wheel it, drive. Just yeah. Don't and it had AC, which was like a... Emergency, emergency brake. If you turn on the AC full, man, I think it would just come to a halt. Those were cool cars, man. They were. I learned how to drive uh, in an early 60s Plymouth Fury. It was the driver's ed car, and I think it had push-button transmission. Oh, yeah. And uh, I can remember the first day, the very first time we were out on the road, they took us to the busiest intersection in town. But the day I got my driver's license, my father drove me out to the MVA, and we were in a must have been like a 64 Oldsmobile 88, so a big tank. It was a rainy day, and on the way home, I rear-ended somebody. Oh, no. <laughs> I just nudged them, just barely hit them. But, you know, you lock the brakes up, and it's three tons, and you're sliding. And uh, Would you take so, your driver's test in? I had a Mustang, though. An old Mustang was my first car. Uh, that's, uh, that's one. Mine yeah, was a Chevette. celebrity Eurosport. I thought that was the oh, that's, most high-performance cool. car ever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can't even remember. The question is, could you all parallel park? Did you all pass that the first time? Yeah, yeah first time. Right yeah. 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 yeah, very good, very good. It was a liberal, right. liberal two minutes. That was cool. That was a, a good lightning round. Let's move on now to our viewer question. Fred from up north in Canada has emailed us, and here's what he uh, emailed. I don't understand why some economy cars, whether smart cars or hybrids, 
give themselves an economy handicap by requiring premium fuel. Up here in Canada, that's about a 15% penalty in the cost of fuel. So why premium? Also, why not use the excellent small diesels from Europe and smart cars or hybrids? That's been a wonder of mine, too. Well, here's the thing. Ford or Chevy or Smart or whoever, they don't care about how much you're spending on fuel. The only thing they're doing is... They care about uh, raising their numbers for to meet standards. So the best way to do that is small engines that are high compression and turbo, which requires premium fuel. So they're just thinking about their numbers. They're not worried about what you're spending on and fuel. And with the turbocharged engines, it's, it's making more and more of the <laughs> premium fuel a necessity. Yeah, it's the, you know, the government's saying, hey, you got to meet these regulations, and that's how they want to do it. So, uh, yeah, that's... That's, that's Up to this point, when you saw V6s and V8s with premium, often it was the question of marketing that, that gave the car more cachet. But now we really are getting into a situation where with these 1 and 1.4 and 1.6 liter turbos, uh, yeah, with you've 11 got and 12 to 1 compression. Yeah. Right. So <coughs> that's the answer. And, Fred, as far as the diesels, up until very recently, most of the diesels don't meet some of the U.S. standards. They're starting to. The newest European diesels do, uh, and, and I'm sure that's probably the same in Canada. And what's going on there is there you'll see more diesels, but I think there's some question of whether the public's going to warm up to them because so far they have not. I imagine a diesel electric hybrid would have some phenomenal numbers. And well, they've yeah, got to be even more hesitant to buy it. Well, they've got who is it in Europe has got the diesel uh, uh, hybrid Volkswagen XL1. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and there's actually somebody else. Is it Volvo? Somebody has yeah, a diesel I hybrid. So, yeah. Anyway, my understanding is that the fuel economy gain over a gas hybrid is not that outstanding. And hmm. there apparently is some mechanical issues that make it harder to do. So I think it'd be the best of both yeah, worlds you because do. you can run on the hybrids, usually do better in city, and diesels do much better, you know, open highway, low RPM, constant cruising. Yeah. So you think it would be the best of both I worlds. Am, I am surprised we haven't seen that technology uh, a little more prevalent. Uh, especially in Europe, than we have so far. Okay, I guess that wraps up our podcast 101 here at Motor Week. I want to thank uh, our audio engineer, Jim Bigwood, our podcast creator, Bob Mixter, and our podcast producer, who's Patrick Lucas, sitting here at the table with us. Also, Ben Davis and Brian Robinson for joining us. For all of us at Motor Week, thank you very much for joining us. Be sure to catch Motor Week on your television or iPad or anywhere else you care to watch us on public television stations and also on the Velocity Cable Channel. And YouTube. And YouTube, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Till next time, I'm John Davis. Thanks and drive carefully. You have been listening to the podcast of Motor Week, television's original automotive magazine. Motor Week is made possible by TireRack.com, RockAuto.com, and by Die Hard. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at motorweek.org. And watch Motor Week, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station.